Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and I'm still summarizing for you one year's worth of incredible water insights from the 52 experts that appeared on this microphone in 2021. Today, we will be looking at an almost invisible part of the water industry. And I know I've already said that about water networks, but this time it's different. It's water hidden in plain sight. Water you touch, eat or wear without realizing it's actually water. Simply said, it's all the water used in industrial applications. Because as Mina Gulli reveals... Just one outfit took more water to make than all the water you've drunk in your whole lifetime. If you're intrigued by that statement, I'll be fact-checking it on my YouTube channel pretty soon. Don't worry, I'll keep you posted. But that fact is not only true... Oh, did I spoil? <laughs> for our outfits, but for most of the goods we enjoy or own, as Navgar and Singbega recalls. The, the issue is that while we, well, everything we do and everything we're surrounded by, whether it is the steel on that microphone that you have, even that processing required amount of water, whether it was the food that you eat. So water is actually something that consumes us, whether it's for a process, whether it's for raw material, whatever it is. The problem is that we're not getting water conscious in that sense. And I don't think we ever will, to be honest. Uh, I don't think that the, the meat industry is going to see a revolution because it consumes X amount of water. However, we will see more and more processes becoming more water friendly. Primary example in that space is hydroponics. Hydroponics is something that is water-friendly agriculture. I guess you roughly know the ratios. 70% of the world's water is spent on agriculture, 10% on households, and the remaining 20% in industry. And when water goes scarce, where do you cut first? That's not just a rhetorical question. By 2030, the world will miss 40% of the water needed to cover all the demand. So we might produce more or use water better, which leads to water reuse as we've seen in our deep dive on the matter. If not, cases like Taiwan cutting its semiconductor production by lack of water will simply multiply. Yet, as Navkaran just underlined, he doesn't expect the industry to boldly change on its own its relationship to water. Are you wondering why? Well, Manaf Farhan has a very logical explanation. People who do the production, they know how to make soda, they know how to make cheese, they know how to make cake. They don't care about wastewater. To them, it's an afterthought. That's exactly what I meant with water hidden in plain sight. You need a lot of water to run an industrial process, but it is very rarely a real component of the final product. So it's just a utility that's out of focus for operators that dedicate to assemble a car, produce a t-shirt or cook some chemicals. I can tell you by experience that I've seen industrial plants where a water mass balance was simply missing 30% of the water. Nobody had a clue where this water was flowing, and honestly, before I asked, nobody cared neither. Yet, if industrial sites want to ensure their sustainability and continuous operation in the future, they will have to secure their water cycle, which is absolutely not obvious to them, as Mana Farhan underlines again. The issue that we fight the most is acceptance, because people still don't trust wastewater treatment. They still don't trust that it can be done effectively and reliably. And they think, you know what, I'll just put it in the sewer and pay that money and not have the headache. But if you take water in, use it and flush it, you're on your own the day you're not allowed to consume fresh water anymore. And that's only the first part of the problem because actually on the other end of the sewer, someone else has a problem, the municipal wastewater treatment plants. 
Indeed, industrial wastes are often special, rich in COD or in special contaminants, as Henrik Hageman explains. Basically, like this small group of contaminants, less than 20% of the stuff in water, which basically mess up more than 80% of the fresh water we have available. That makes it even more frustrating to see that those pollutants get flushed to the sewer, because aside from the water balance question, it poses an efficiency problem. Special contaminants in high concentration in small volumes of water are much cheaper to treat than the same contaminants now in very low concentrations when they are diluted in large volumes of other sources of water. And this is true for many families of pollutants, some of them known for decades. But it is also especially true for emerging contaminants like PFAS, as Henrik Hageman recalls. Industry-wise, there is definitely a massive awakening. Like when you see Fortune 100 companies losing billions of dollars of market cap because of PFAS liabilities, like we saw in 2019, it's like, holy cow, like it's really moving to the top of the corporate agenda. That's just the beginning of the awakening on the link between industrial contaminations and the struggle of municipal systems. If you've listened to my deep dive on distributed treatments, you know that solutions exist thanks to process automation and digitization. So it's about leveraging these new possibilities to solve an ever-growing problem because as Henrik Hageman explains, The Nordic Council of Ministers, so this is the government, they basically put a price tag on the cost of PFAS chemicals in the blood in Europeans. It's 84 billion euros in annual costs every year. That's across 740 million citizens, roughly in EU. So you have actually more than $100 spent in, in health costs every year just for PFAS. How do we deal with water scarcity and industrial water allocations? How do we manage industrial processes byproducts? Basically, there are two possible approaches. First, as Claudia Winkler proposes, we could push for regulations. Businesses probably will not call for regulation, but we as people living in our countries should call for stricter regulations to force companies to fulfill and not only talk the walk, but walk the talk. Then, as Mila Gulli underlines, there is also an explanation effort to conduce with industrial players. Companies can be quick to act when they know that something impacts or has the risk against their supply chains or their bottom line. Companies have direct water footprints and companies have the capacity to actually deliver change right throughout the tentacles of their wide-reaching supply chains. The future will probably see a combination of both. I would personally add a third one, leverage circular resource recovery loops. Because when we talk of high-strength industrial wastewater streams, we also talk of a lot of energy trapped in water, chemical energy, heat, potential biomass, and then also a lot more resources from phosphorus to precious metals through all the shades of chemicals. And if you're interested in this new lens, stay tuned because that's a topic we will soon investigate in depth with Stephen Delette on this very podcast. Did you like this deep dive? Then tell it to your friends and colleagues and share that episode. Do you have friends working in the industry? Tell them how forgetting about water is both a risk and a missed opportunity. It all starts with a simple share. They would thank you later. Then, if you'd like to further explore the topic, check out my full interviews with today's experts. All the links are in the description. And of course, if you haven't done it yet, 
make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform so that you don't miss beyond the upcoming interview with Stephen Delette, the next and last leg in our 2021 recap journey with the consequences of urbanization on the water sector. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. <laughs>